it is an awesome experience. Like when my clients get jobs, I always write them a note that has like 15 exclamation points because I'm so excited (laughs) because it's just amazing to watch the transformation that happens, especially when, you know, you meet them at the beginning and they're very nervous and they're doubting themselves to getting in the door, going through the interviews and just nailing it. Welcome to The Art of Speaking Up, a podcast that empowers professional women to rise. I'm your host, Jessica Guzik, and in this show, I take you undercover into the stories and lessons that I learned, sometimes the hard way, throughout my career. I also talk with working women, leaders, and coaches to show you that no matter what your struggle is and no matter what your career goals are, You already have all the talent that you need to succeed. So when we're changing jobs or we're aiming for something big, maybe we're trying to get a promotion or move ourselves to the next level or maybe we're switching jobs and trying to get into a new field or make a pivot from what we're doing and try something new. Whenever we're trying to make those big moves, whether it's a jump upwards or whether it's a move that's more lateral, it's hard. First, you have to figure out all the steps to get there. And inherently, it's difficult because you're trying to do something you haven't done before. So you don't know the steps and there's a lot of learning that has to happen there, probably a lot of trial and error. And there's a lot of problem solving that you have to do to get from point A to point B. And to make matters a bit more complicated... I think that whenever we're going for something that's outside of our comfort zone and that's not exactly aligned with what we know we're able to do, it's new and it's unfamiliar and it's going to be a challenge. For so many people, that's when these feelings of self-questioning and self-worth and imposter syndrome and all of those places where our low confidence is like hidden and lurking within the shadows, that all starts coming up and creeping up and It makes that process of navigating the steps and figuring out how to get to where we want to go that much more difficult. And that's why I was so, so excited to talk with today's guest, Meg Duffy. Meg is a career coach, and she works with women to help them make career changes. She does a lot of work with women who are trying to break into tech for the very first time. And she also helps women go after whatever career goals are important to them. Whether it's just moving upwards in their current trajectory or maybe they're making a pivot to something new. But the work that Meg does is centered around not only helping her clients figure out the steps to get from point A to point B, but also supporting them on an emotional level as they do that. My favorite thing about this conversation is that Meg has such a deep understanding of all of the internal stuff that can come up for us when we're going for something new or something hard. All of the self-questioning and the imposter syndrome and the negative feelings that come up. Meg takes those things just as seriously and treats them with as much care as she treats the steps that she works with her clients to get them to that next job or that next position. I wish, I wish I had known about Meg when I was in my I say earlier mid-20s, it's exactly what I would have needed back then. And it was really fun to talk with her and hear about her points of view. And she even opens up about 
some places where she's struggled with confidence and where that fear has crept in for her and and how she approaches that and how she's managed that. This was so much fun, and I love it when career coaches just get real with me and tell it like it is. I find it so helpful and humanizing, and I was so appreciative of Meg coming on and telling me all about the work that she does. I loved this conversation. I think you're going to love it, too. And with that, I will introduce you to Meg Duffy. So I am a career coach for people who are trying to launch and grow careers in tech. So typically, I'm working with people who are coming from non-technical backgrounds and trying to get into tech, or I'm working with folks who are already in that space and are trying to level up their careers, whether they're trying to get a promotion or they're looking around for their next role, you know, trying to unpack those questions of where am I going? What am I doing next? Can be very difficult to do on your own. And so um, I'm working with folks to help them help them get to the next level. And are there a particular set of challenges or roadblocks that you tend to see coming up frequently with the people that you work with? Yeah. So I'd say clients typically fall into two categories. So they either have a very clear step, a like sense of their next step and what it looks like, but are kind of overwhelmed by all of the individual steps it takes to get there. So the vision is there, but the path is kind of murky. The second category of folks is, you know, they're not sure what the next step looks like. They know that what they're doing right now is not their forever thing, but they're unsure what different avenues to pursue, you know, how their skills can translate into a different environment. So they need help breaking down those big questions into smaller parts to help them get some clarity. I'd say broadly in my work, I'm helping people clarify their goals, their skills, their values identify any narratives or negative self-talk that might be preventing them from making moves. I help them brainstorm possible future roles. We set up a process for fact-finding to see if those ideal roles actually do feel right to them. And once a client knows where they're going, then we get into the very tangible feedback on resumes, LinkedIn, cover letters, uh, and helping them prep for behavioral interviews. So it's really end-to-end, starting with the big question all the way through all of the tactical steps to then pursue what it is the person is interested in. Yeah. And I think it's really important in the initial phone call to really listen closely to what they're saying and parse out, you know, do they have a clear sense of, I am a designer and I'm interested in moving into UX and here are my skills, or, you know, I'm a designer and I'm not really sure what my next step is going to be. Like those are two, two different paths and different sets of questions that we're going to have to dig into. One area that I would love to go into more is the person who knows that they don't want to be doing what they're doing, but doesn't know what they do want to be doing. I think that sometimes I know I felt this way and other people feel like that's a bad thing. And there's almost like, oh, I should know I should have this plan. So I guess as a starting point, what would you say to people who are frustrated at themselves for not knowing? Yeah, I mean, I think that that not knowing is a very common experience. And I think the reason behind that is twofold. Uh, one is I think that the myth that people are born knowing what they want to do from childhood is overrepresented when we hear these stories. And the other is that we're never really taught the tools to dig into our own preferences and interrogate them. You know, at least in my own experience, I think the only thinking about careers we did was when I was in high school and they had you take like a multiple choice test and it would spit back like 10 jobs that you could potentially do. 
A, I think that mode is definitely outdated now. But B, it's like not really teaching us to dig into what makes us tick. And as humans, we're not innately good at knowing what will make us happy in the future. We are not good at forecasting those things. And so instead of being a passive process, it's actually on us to actively dig into our thoughts and our beliefs to get to the heart of those preferences. And that work doesn't necessarily yield quick results. So it's easy to deprioritize it because it takes time and it frequently feels like nothing is happening. Like, where are my insights? So it really is a long game tactic. That is just what I was going to ask you about. I was going to ask you one thing. And now what you just said led me to the second part, which is, first of all, how do you suggest people start to figure out what that is or gain that clarity if they're feeling very unsure? But I know for me, like I can get very impatient and I'll be like, oh, I tried something. I had a coffee. I still don't know. Why isn't this working? Like, so I would just love to hear your point of view on all of that. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) So I'd say in terms of where the inspiration lies, like the clues are everywhere. So you can start by asking yourself, what did you like to do when you were a kid? You know, what classes lit you up in school? Did you hate school? And what were you doing in your free time? What projects did you start when you were bored? You know, who are your heroes and why are they your heroes? What qualities in them resonated with you? Because critically looking at all these things that you admire and what brings you joy can lead to some of those interesting insights. And looking back in time and identifying patterns in your career is also helpful Uh, So you can break out of any cycles that you don't want to repeat. You know, if you've had the same boss through every single and you're trapped in the same dynamic every single time, like what about that pattern do you want to get out of? In terms of my approach as a coach, I see myself providing three things to clients. So there's structure, accountability, and support. So for each of my sessions, it has a focus and an exercise. So we're breaking down the problem into smaller, more manageable pieces and talking it through. After each session, I give clients action steps for them to work on at home. And then in the next session, we're coming back, we're reviewing them. So each time you have that very clear deadline of we're moving it forward. And inevitably, when the going gets tough, I pump them up and remind them that they can do it. You know, I remind people constantly, it's (laughs) like all over my website and my contract that, you know, coaching is not therapy. I don't get people jobs. You know, that that is never promised. The work is on the client, but I help them take the teeth out of doing this difficult introspective work so they can find some answers in themselves. I have a couple things that I want to dig into on some of the stuff you talked about, about taking the steps to figure out what it is you like. The first is There aren't that many narratives out there around people finding that happiness and, you know, like looking at what they liked as a child and being like, oh, now I know what it is. And like, there's the job and this is the environment that I'm going to work in. I think sometimes a lot of it's like, oh, I want to break out of the corporate world and, you know, I want to stop doing this. And so I would love to hear from you for people that want to be in this nine to five world and that have ambitions, what happiness looks like in that world? Because I think sometimes we don't get to talk about that enough. Yeah, that's really true. And I think there, we would all be better served to talk about our own career paths and kind of the circuitous route that they can sometimes take. I feel like when people are like trying to check in and see like, all right, what, what is working in a space? And like, 
do, do I want to be here or should I be here? You know, I think it's totally okay to want to be in a nine to five environment and feel comfortable. And like the difficulty is figuring out, do I want to be here or should I be here? I think intellectualizing the problem and doing the deep thinking about your career is really great. But in that space, when you're trying to check in, it's also important, I feel, to be in trust, uh, in touch rather with your body. Uh, so trusting your gut is hard when you're always in your head. But if you're able to get in tune with what your body is telling you as well, it can help clarify the difference between want and should. So my personal technique when I have to parse a tough decision is to go for a long walk with a notepad and no phone. And so the mm. act of moving my body helps me process and check in without distractions. And the notepad allows me to capture any insights that bubble up in that space. I love that technique. That sounds really appealing. I think I'm actually going to try that next time I'm trying to figure something out. Excellent. <laughs> and you mentioned untangling shoulds from wants. I think for people who are very achievement oriented and who are very kind of used to orienting what they do against like what the goal should be, are there other suggestions that you have to help people untangle what is something that I want and what is something I think that I want, but I actually don't want? Yeah, I think, you know, it's a lot, it's a lot easier to identify like not that I don't want that and a lot more difficult to articulate like what clearly, what clearly feels good in that space. And sometimes like, sometimes the greatest learning experience can actually be from trying something new and realizing, oh, this is not the thing. So for anybody who is making a move and finds out, oh, that this actually is not a good fit. First of all, I don't want to, <laughs> like, I, I want to validate that that person is like doing something that is really difficult. But also it's like an incredible learning experience and you get a lot of knowledge out of that very quickly. Not every move has to be to the perfect next thing. You know, sometimes making a move is going to lead to something that doesn't necessarily feel great. But within that, there's a lot of learning as well. I'm really glad you said that because I think that can take pressure off in a very important way. It's like there's not necessarily a perfect thing or you don't have to figure out exactly what the thing is right away. And also, it's it can expose you to other dimensions to think about that maybe you hadn't been thinking about before. Yeah, absolutely. If you have never been confronted with, you know, a culture where you can't share your ideas freely, whatever it happens to be, then, you know, you don't have experience in that space. You don't know how you're going to react in that space. And so every new environment that you're in is kind of an opportunity to say, okay, like what what is working and like how can i double down on those things and what is emphatically not working and is a hard pass <laughs> in what i want to do in the future do you have thoughts on the how far the timeline goes out when it comes to planning things because there's a, people will say things like a 5 year plan i know for me i'm like no there i i don't even have like a 1 month plan i mean what do you say to people who are overwhelmed by that idea. So yeah, I am not a big fan of like the five year plan anymore, because I feel like it comes from a time when the assumption was you would stay at a company. And so the correct answer to a five year plan was, Oh, like, I want to be the VP of X, you know, it's like, I'm moving up through the ranks to this particular role. And I think there are a lot of 
reasons why in our economy that's not necessarily possible anymore. You know, the structures of things have changed from a purely economic perspective. Like lots of times people have to move out of companies in order to get more money. Like there, there is no path for advancement. And so I would say that in that space, I encourage people to get very clear on what their overarching goals are. And a great way to do this is just kind of like take take some post-it notes and write down, okay, can I get to 100 life goals? And these are things that I want to do over the course of my entire life. They can be big things. They do not have to be all work-related. In fact, they shouldn't be all work-related because you're not just your work. But that can have that can have like a very clarifying effect because you can see like, what are the things that are important to me in this map? What do I need to learn to be able to achieve these things? You know, what kind of flexibility um, and structure do I need to have in my job? And so that can kind of be a guidepost for, oh, here's where I want to be in five years. Five years from now, I want to have accomplished these things. And then you can be more flexible on what the path is that's going to get you there. For people who know what it is they want next, are you ever seeing situations where it's something that they know internally, but they don't even maybe want to admit it to themselves or say it out loud because it feels like a stretch and there's like this men- this weird mental thing. Oh, I see you nodding. I'm excited. Yes, to <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that, that block is called imposter syndrome. <laughs> and I think you see it a lot when there's a gap between where you are and where you want to be. And it feels like that gap is too great to surmount. It creates a space for fear to creep in. That voice that is telling you that you're a fraud, that you don't have any skills, that you don't know anything. I think there are also a lot of broader societal cues that play into that experience as well. So if you were socialized to not go for what you wanted, either in your family, your school, your neighborhood, you know, you are less likely to go for it at work. And so in that space, I feel like having empathy for that person and the feelings that they're bringing up around it is really key. So telling somebody, oh, you shouldn't feel that way, you know, you're very capable, don't feel that way is not productive because they do feel that way. So the first thing in that space that I want to do is just validate that fear. You know, you're thinking about something new. It's challenging. It's it's okay to feel afraid. But I also like to challenge the assumptions underpinning those fears. So if you're afraid of taking this step, what's the root of that fear? What are you most afraid will happen? How has that outcome happened before? What do you stand to lose or gain? And how likely are those outcomes? And like through those conversations, you can kind of talk that person down a bit to a place where you can then start thinking about what is the first step and like what feels safe in that space. Safe enough, but also a stretch. I'm so glad that you mentioned validating the fear because one thing that really grinds my gears about certain flavors of women's empowerment is the flavor that just tries to skip over that step and say, well, like you should just like do it and take up space and do the thing. And I know for me, I felt very not seen at times. And I felt like, well, of course I would like to do that, but I have this other problem. And you saying that to me isn't making the problem go away. Absolutely. And I think there's this general assumption of like the people who are taking the steps don't feel fear. And that is emphatically not true. (laughs) You know, they are moving through their fear and with their fear. But anybody that you see that is like out there being, you know, whatever the definition of a boss is and making those moves, there is always going to be self-doubt and fear in that space. And so 
I feel like it's also important for us to talk about how we feel in that space to just kind of open up the conversation. Like, how do you do something that's really challenging when you're also butting up against your own fears? It's okay to be afraid. Keep moving anyway. Yeah, just removing the notion that I think a lot of us get stuck in, which is, you know, if I don't feel like I think I'm supposed to feel, that's some sort of signal that I'm not ready for it. Yes, exactly. And I think, you know, fear really is, at the heart of it, it's trying to protect us, right? It's it's trying to protect us from judgment, but it's also blocking us from growth. And I think in that space, you don't have to do it all at once. Like Building that confidence really does take time and practice. Like you wouldn't go to the gym and start squatting 200 pounds on the first day. So, you know, instead you just start small and work your way up. So maybe you want to start by emailing a person in the role that you want and asking them to grab coffee. Can I ask you some questions about what it's like in your role? Can I ask you what it's like to work at this company? Or maybe you've been building out your portfolio and you're really scared to launch it. So you're asking a friend for feedback. Or maybe once you ask that friend, then you post it on a group where you feel like it's a safe space, but people will also give you critical feedback. And so as you're taking these calculated risks, you'll get more comfortable and more confident. I also personally like to keep a list of my accomplishments that I can reference when that fear creeps in and tells me I'm not good at things, this new project is going to fail, I've never done anything. It's much more difficult for that inner critic to have power when you have tangible evidence to counter it. Yes, I agree. And it can really get a solid grip on you. So you need to get a grip back on it. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, You mentioned before also working with someone to get them to the point of believing and like through that transition. And I think that's something really, really special about the role of a coach because the person is still believing in themselves. Like it's ultimately that click and that spark has to happen within them. And it's kind of like you're prodding them towards it as much as you can, but you're enabling this internal thing and it's really happening inside them, which I think is so cool. Thank you. It is an awesome experience. Like when my clients get jobs, it I always write them a note that has like 15 exclamation points because I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah. Um, Because it's just amazing to watch the transformation that happens, especially when, you know, you meet them at the beginning and this is very new and they're very nervous and they're doubting themselves to getting in the door, going through the interviews, going through that process and just nailing it. That must be such a gratifying feeling. And yeah, I feel like the entire process from figuring out what you want and then getting into the interviews, it really is a test of, for many people, a test of self-confidence, because, especially if you're switching into a new field where you feel like you're the new person who doesn't have the same background. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a real, it's a real challenge. That's so cool. And do you ever work with people who aren't necessarily looking for a job switch, but um, for growth or evolution within their current company or current position? Yeah, actually, so... When I start working with folks, unless they're talking about something where, you know, if there's an immediate issue where it's like this organization is just like not serving me, if there's something really terrible going on, like one of the first things that we'll do is kind of figure out how can what you're doing now morph or shift. And it's also interesting, sometimes I'll talk to people with folks who like their jobs, but are just thinking about growth for the future. 
And so for those folks, I love those conversations because I feel like when you like your job, that is the best time to really do that thinking and just check in. It's kind of like going to the doctor for preventative care. So if you're going for regular checkups and you're kind of getting feedback on what's working and what isn't, it's easier to avoid major catastrophes later. And it's also just easier to think about these questions when you're not feeling overwhelmed or super burnt out. So some folks like to do, um, you know, are, are doing this work. Other people like just want to keep a record of, okay, what's working and what isn't. So maybe you like to do a weekly wins check-in. So you take 10 minutes on a Friday to write down what you accomplished and what you felt about the week. Or maybe you're a person who wants to visualize that data. So you rank your productivity and happiness at a scale from one to 10 over time. So if there's a big dip, you can kind of dig in and see, okay, what's the problem here? But setting aside that time to check in with yourself on a daily or weekly basis can really yield some interesting insights over time. That's such a smart idea. We never really stop to reflect unless we're in transition mode and we're thinking about what we want next. Yeah, it's like a great time to check in, especially when things are good, because it's like, okay, what's good? And how can I just like get more good out of this job all the time? Yeah. And it's also a nice time to reflect on your professional development and kind of check in with where you're at and see how things are going there. Absolutely. Would it be okay if I asked you about your transition into tech and (laughs) like what you learned through that and how you've applied those tools with the people that you work with? Absolutely. I mean, I think having gone through a transition uh, is very helpful because when everybody that I work with is talking about all of these feelings, I can definitely identify with them. (laughs) So I started my career. um, I was working in education. I have a master's in library science. And before I got into tech, I was working as an archivist at a nonprofit arts institution. If you're not sure what an archivist is, you should Google it. There's there's lots of interesting roles out there. But for this particular role, there was no real career path per se. So this was one role and you did the role until you either left or you retired. And I was interested in, you know, moving into a place where I could do more, really build more and work at a faster rate at just a more nimble institution. And I started looking at roles in tech, but I realized that my archivist experience did not easily translate into that space. I got very intimidated by job titles. I wanted to just find a, I don't know, digital archivist type role at a tech company, and that wasn't a thing. So I realized that if I was going to do this, I had to build my skills on my own time. So I read through some job descriptions that I thought were interesting. I identified some gaps in my own knowledge, and I started a side project. My side project was called Lady Collective. So it was just a feminist blog that I put together. So I was conducting interviews. I was writing think pieces. I was reviewing books. I also built out the website. I fleshed out social media channels for it. And I was conducting just different experiments while tracking all those analytics. So I did that project for about a year and a half. And all that experience helped finally get my resume some attention. And did you deal with any of your own doubts or some of those mental things that we were talking about? So many. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think one of the, one of the most important things that I did during that time was start going to tech meetups when I wasn't in tech because I wanted to make this move and it felt very lonely. You know, nobody else at 
my nonprofit wanted to move. It was a type of place where you stayed for your whole career. And so nobody could really understand my motivation behind wanting to make the change. So for a while, I just felt pretty isolated. And it wasn't until I just started going to meetups and realizing, okay, I don't, I don't know about not only like the jobs that I'm applying to, but also this landscape as a whole. And so it was very educational to talk to different folks about what they were doing. And it helped clarify lots of, you know, my own questions about the space and just made it a less lonely process. Yeah, it's tricky when you're in the minority and the people around you aren't on the same path. I think it can make you feel, like you said, isolated and alienated a little bit. Right. Yeah, it was helpful to just like find other folks going through that same thing and get support from them. Uh, You know, even after I got that first tech job, it was really challenging to just like adjust to that space. You know, I was learning about a new company. I was learning about a new role. I was learning about the tech landscape at large. Um, But I feel like what really made the difference in terms of me getting that role was being able to go to those meetups, speak to people about the transition I was trying to make and connect those dots in real time so that people weren't just seeing, okay, so you're an archivist, but you want to do what? You know, being able to tell my story to a real person was really a pivotal moment where I started to get more interviews. Oh, wow. And it makes it feel more real too, right? Because you're getting it out there and you're sharing it with people, get their input, hear them react. So then when you're sitting in an interview telling that same story, it probably, you probably feel stronger sharing that story. Yes, absolutely. I was going to say before, I'm just really impressed by the way that you handled the transition and it just feels so natural and makes so much sense to me that this is what you do and this is what you help people with because the way you described it, I never would have thought to solve it that way. And it's just so cool the way that you went about it so systematically and you just like made this decision and went for it. And I'm sure it's so helpful for you to provide that kind of like structure and direction and encouragement for your clients because I think doing what you did is one of the most difficult things to do. It's so much harder than going for a promotion in your field, in my opinion. Thanks. Yeah. And I mean, I I also want to stress that it was like much less linear than that <laughs> than that little soundbite I just gave made it seem. Um, you know, there was a period of time where I was searching really hard. And then, um, you know, the, the art season started and I pushed pause on my job search. You know, during that time, there was a lot of frustration and soul searching and trying to figure out what was next and just trying to buoy myself up and keep my motivation going. So I think a big part of why I enjoy coaching so much is I want to be the person that I wanted to connect with when I was going through that time. And I had to figure it out for myself. Mm -hmm. I think you also have a really healthy balance of tactical forward progress, but giving space and understanding what the person is experiencing and kind of making room for both of those things. Because career transitions and job search, it's all very emotional underneath. And we don't always talk about that. Yeah. And I think at least when I'm trying to do the work, I try to give folks like tangible things that they're able to work on. So they feel like they're making progress while also digging into more of the emotional and like more nebulous questions as well. And those answers, sometimes it clicks for people really quickly. Other times it takes them a lot longer. And so I think that the difficult part in that space is kind of managing expectations where it's like, hey, if it's not coming together, you know, after like six sessions, eight sessions, like that is also okay. You know, Mm -hmm. you're, you're not like off the timeline. Everyone's timeline is different. 
And I think this is one of the things in life that can be really hard to time. I'm, yes. I don't know what you see, but for me, that's how it's been. Yeah, well, especially when, especially when you're in that place where you're in a job and you can't take it anymore because there's this immediacy to it. You know, I have to find something right now. And sometimes anything can feel better than what you're in right now. And so it can be tough to temper those emotions and take a step back and be like, okay, but what, what do I really want? And how do I strategically go for that as opposed to just taking anything that comes my way, which might perpetuate some of the same cycles that I'm currently trapped in? Mm -hmm. And it's when you don't like where you are, it's so much easier to, you know, make excuses about a position, you know, you don't really want because you're just so eager to move on and get out of where you're where you're at. Absolutely. So much easier to just like rationalize like this is fine. This feels like a good time to go into the listener question. So if you're ready, I will ask you the question and then I'm going to turn it over to you and let you talk directly to the listener on this one. I'm I'm actually very excited to hear what you're going to say. I'm curious about it. Oh, hit me. Okay. All right. Let's go. So (laughs) listener asks, how do I prioritize working at my ideal company and role with softer factors like work-life balance and overall happiness? I recently started a role that was my dream role, but I quickly learned that the team I'm on does not value work-life balance and has more of a cutthroat culture than I'm used to. Despite loving the work itself, I'm finding myself feeling drained And it's hard to admit this since I was so excited for this job, but I'm more unhappy here than I was at my previous company. And I just got here. I guess I don't have a super specific question, but I'm feeling a bit lost in this situation and any advice would be appreciated. Sincerely, walked into a lion's den. Ooh, that's a tough one. (laughs) Oh, man. Well, first off, I want to validate your feelings here, because that sounds like an incredibly difficult and frustrating situation. You know, you just made a big change. And while it doesn't feel great right now, I want to commend you for making the move in the first place, because that was very courageous. And it's okay to make a change that turns out to not meet all of your expectations uh, and needs. I'd say in this situation, first of all, however you can, take care of yourself in this space. So do what you can to get sleep, stay hydrated, exercise, and find support in your friends outside of work when you can. When you don't feel good, it's a lot harder to make bigger decisions that fully honor your needs. And it's also easy to isolate and shut down, but you're definitely not alone in this space. Uh, Since you're new, I'd say once you get the lay of the land, try to get a feel for what you can change versus what's immutable in this space. So it sounds like the team that you're on has this very intense culture, but are there other teams where the culture is slightly different? And what specifically isn't working for you? You know, is there a lack of cultural boundaries around email or phone calls? Are you able to put white space on your calendar? Is the team planning or just reacting to situations? Are other people on the team unhappy? So gathering more information and articulating the things that like absolutely need to change for you will make it easier to brainstorm solutions that you can take to your supervisor. And so, yes, that means having a conversation about what's not working, but you can frame this conversation in the context of, you know, making these changes will help me be more productive in my role. Like, is there a possibility of 
implementing any of these solutions. Coming with a solution instead of just pointing out a problem is like a great layup way to give your boss the opportunity to say yes. If there's no change in sight, if you have that conversation and it's a no-go, I'd say consider to start saving and looking around. I know you said that this was your dream role at your dream company, but you're more than just your job. And so if this work-life balance works for everybody else, but not for you, there's a lot of learning in that space, but you need to be able to create conditions that let you do the best work. Some resources I recommend for finding roles that also have supportive cultures, I'd say are the Tech Ladies Job Board, uh, Creative Guild, which is a job board powered by the Creative Mornings team. Work is a site that pre-vets companies and lists jobs with built-in flexibility. Um, and Key Values. Uh, so not only does keyvalues.com offer a job board, but the founder, Lynn, created a tool that lets you make a list of what's important to you in your next company. Um, and work-life balance is definitely on that list. And once you pick your values, you can tick little boxes and you'll receive a list of strategic questions to ask in interviews to get more realistic answers so that you can better assess what the nature of that company is. So I'd say first, take care of yourself, see what you can change. And if nothing changes, then you can make a change that works for you. I wish you the best of luck. That's a tough spot to be in. Meg, you are a very very good problem solver. You hit every corner <laughs> of that. It was like, it was just so thorough. I'm, I'm very impressed. Thanks. <laughs> I've been there. I feel you. Yeah. I mean, and also even those resources that you mentioned are so helpful. I will put them in the notes. I have not heard of the majority of them and they sound sure. really useful. Yeah. I can send those links over to you afterwards. They're fantastic. Awesome. Before we get into the couple of closing questions, I wanted to quickly ask you if people are interested in getting in touch with you, where they can find you and reach out to you. Sure. Yeah. So I have um, a website. So www.megduffy.com, all one word. And so on there, you can read more about my process. You can learn a little bit more about me. I have a monthly newsletter that comes out that sends out, uh, I do a weekly interview series called Role Models that talks to different people about the day-to-day -day of their jobs. So if you wonder what a product manager does versus a project manager at different companies, you can read through those. Um, so you can sign up through the newsletter. And you can also follow me on Instagram. So I'm on Instagram at futureproofmeg. Wonderful. Now I'm going to get into the couple of closing questions that I ask everybody. Sure. The first one is around the name of the show. So the show is called The Art of Speaking Up. And I would love to get your thoughts on what speaking up means and why it's important. It could be either related to what we talked about or whatever you feel most important. Sure. So off the top of my head, I see speaking up as having two parts. So there's a personal and then there's a more communal part. And so the personal part is about advocating for your own needs uh, sharing your ideas and the rationale behind them and just setting clear boundaries for yourself. I'd say in safe spaces, it means being vulnerable and showing the imperfect parts of our journey to people who may be following in our footsteps just to humanize it and make it a little bit more realistic. And at the community level, we have a responsibility to speak truth to power, to hold people accountable and have each other's backs when we see something happening that undermines our values. And we can also band together and collectively speak up. We can amplify the voices of others. 
And we can use whatever privileges we possess to advocate for folks who don't have that privilege and access. Thank you so much. And also thank you for mentioning the point about privilege, because I think that that's important. And it's sometimes not always a part of the women's empowerment conversation. And I think it, the conversation needs to get to that next level of granularity, which is, you know, beyond just women, in what ways does privilege show up in our careers and in our lives? And in what ways can those of us who hold it, whatever form it may be, use our voices to improve things for the collective? So thank you for mentioning that. I really appreciate that. Absolutely. And then the very last question is just my opportunity to give you the floor to do the thing that I created this show to do, which is to reach out to professional women and just let them know that they can do whatever they want to do and that they have what it takes and that whatever they might be struggling with or going through, things are going to be okay. And they really have all the things they need inside already. So I'm going to just turn the floor over to you to share whatever message is important to you. Sure. And this is something that I've been thinking about a lot lately. Uh, So as a coach, you know, I'm building this business. I am by myself uh, a lot. (laughs) Um, In that space, I feel like it's very easy to have fears come up. And so like, my piece of advice that I'm giving to you, but I'm also giving to myself is hold space for yourself. So when you're making a really big change, when you're doing something that you've never done before, a lot of feelings can arise in that space. It can feel really uncomfortable, really scary, really uncertain. I don't know about you, but sometimes my inner monologue likes to fall into the trap of trying to fix everything when in reality, I just want a hug and somebody to tell me that it's okay to feel what I'm feeling. And so it doesn't necessarily mean, you know, give in to the fear, but it does mean give space to feel it and recognize that you're doing a hard thing. You know, it's okay to be afraid, but you don't have to cut the fear out to move forward. In fact, that's kind of impossible. You can just turn the volume down and move through it. And so I'd say if you're in that space, it's very important to talk to yourself as if you were talking to a friend. Um, And I say that because very frequently our inner critics can take a very vicious tone. You know, we'll say things to ourselves that we would never say to another person. So even if you feel trapped in your current situation, my advice is do your best to be kind to yourself while you find a way forward. Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Meg. I hope that you enjoyed it. I loved her and I have so, so, so much respect for the methods that she uses for working with clients and just the way that she's able to bring together the very tactical steps with that emotional understanding of what people are going through. I think that Meg has a really special gift for working with people and for understanding the logical, rational steps and also really understanding the self-worth piece and the self-confidence piece and marrying that sense of compassion with the systematic part. So if what she said resonated with you or you felt connected with her, I would encourage you to reach out to her. I love reading her Instagram captions. I always relate to them so much. She was incredible. So a big thanks to Meg for coming on the show and a big thanks to you for listening to the show. And as a reminder, I like to remind you sometimes that you can submit a listener question to be answered on the show. I love hearing from people who listen to the show. I get embarrassingly excited. So if you want to reach out to me, please do. You can send me a listener question and you can also reach out to me just to say hi. 
You can find me on Instagram. The handle is The Art of Speaking Up. I occasionally post on there. I'm trying to get better and post more interesting, fun stuff. So you can follow me there. And you can also send me an email, jessica at theartofspeakingup.com. As always, I want to thank you for listening. It is an honor every week to be able to help you and add a little bit of positivity to your week. And with that, I'm going to wish you an incredible rest of your day. And hopefully you'll be listening to me again soon. Bye.